prepared to speak here and had something all ready to go and I didn't feel it was the right thing to speak. And so I ended up calling out to the Lord what I was supposed to speak here this morning and that was only about a week and a half ago and I, uh, so I have something different. So um, I believe it's meant for here. I don't, uh, I don't have that that often actually where I've done, and I thought actually the other message was pretty cool. Uh, so uh, I, I, I know that the Lord has a purpose in everything. Um, I was studying uh, a scripture and it caught my attention and it led me down a path. And it's from John 1 verses 35 to 41. And I, rather than reading the story, I'll tell you the story. Uh, John the Baptist was walking with a couple of his disciples, and he saw Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew, which was one of the disciples with uh, John and another buddy, they didn't say who his what his name was, took off and followed Jesus. And they, Andrew called him teacher or rabbi. And Jesus said, So what do you want? And he said, Well, where do you live? And so they went with Jesus. Jesus took them to where he lived, and they spent the day with Jesus. And at the end of the day, uh, Andrew searched out his um, brother, Simon Peter, and he said, I have found the Messiah, which is the same word for the anointed one. He went from starting the day calling him just teacher to the end of the day calling him the anointed one. And in the church circles, if you've been in the church circles for a long time, um, you've heard the term anointed many a time. Um, I mean, I really felt the anointing. And I'm not really sure um, what that exactly means. Um, I know that there's certain songs in worship that change the congregation. And people will say that song, they felt the anointing in that song. I want to know what the anointing means. If Andrew went with one day with Jesus and came to a place where he saw the anointing of Jesus, how can we know that? How can we know that anointing? Not just a feeling. How can we know that anointing? And it's important for the church. As a leadership in this church, it's really critical that you understand the anointing. Because in, in uh, 1 John 2, it says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And then he goes on to say, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Talks about deceit in the church and then the protection from that deceit is anointing. So it's critical. It's critical for us to understand it, not just know Christianese language. Again, for some of you, you're newer to the church setting, so you've not experienced the lifelong story of the word anointing that I've experienced. And different people have experienced the word in different fashions, but when you come right down to it, people don't give me an answer. 
I want to understand what that really is because if it's a place of protection in the church, I don't know how much you've ever experienced where somebody you saw got deceived in the church and they've left the church and they've fallen away from the Lord. That hurts. And if we understand what the anointing of the Lord really is, we can protect against that. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and 22, it says, and, is, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's God who's done it. He's not just put this anointing as a feeling. He's put it right deep down into our heart. Okay, you're still all blank. It is Sunday morning. You're saying them lucky dogs that came to church on Saturday night, they are sitting out in the sun this morning. No, you're not. Uh, but you still, what has that taught you? It's in your hearts. Anointing's in your hearts. I don't know. Honestly. I'm being honest. I don't have a clue what that means. So Christ is in our hearts, okay. But what does that mean? What is that, what's the fruit of that? What's the reality of that? I know him. I don't know about him. The difference when Andrew first met Jesus, he knew about Jesus. He'd heard about Jesus. He knew all the things about Jesus that, he was, that John the Baptist was telling him. This guy is coming after me, and he's going to be the one. So he knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He went to Jesus' house, and he knew Jesus, and he knew that anointing. Eternal life is all about that. It says in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that you know that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's knowing him. Now there's people that say they know me. I sat in a council meeting in Haldeman County here the other uh, week, and I, I slipped in late. I was tardy, and I slipped in late, sat in a seat, and the council hadn't start, started yet, and two guys behind me were talking about me. They didn't know it was me and sitting in front of them. So I thought, oh, I'm going to see what I'm all about. You know what I mean? Uh, so I listened for a little while, and I thought, yeah, John, this isn't right. You know, you should turn around. I knew the guys, so I thought, this shouldn't, I shouldn't sit there and listen too long because it could get offensive sooner or later, right? So I caught them. Most of the stuff was relatively true at the point when I turned around and said, hey, how are you doing? Uh, I says, I thought before you got into any kind of embarrassing conversation, I better point out that I was sitting right in front of you. And uh, they thought they knew me. They know about me. If you know somebody, you know what their heart is. And the anointing is about knowing him. That led me on a little farther because I want to understand what knowing him really means in my life daily. What does it mean to me? How am I going to be different if I know him? How am I going to be different to Brian? How am I going to be different to the different people that I meet up with in a, in a week's uh, span? How am I going to be different? What is that going to look like? This is, I'm talking about anointing here. I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm talking about anointing as God has dictated it to us in the scripture. Andrew 
when he met up with Jesus, he called him teacher to start. And it says in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3, Now concerning food offered to idols, sounds like a strange topic, but concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. All of you has got some sort of knowledge. I like to call it opinions. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The anointing that Jesus put on you in your heart is based on love. It's not based on knowledge. I'll tell you, one of the toughest things in the church is people's knowledge. They screw the church up so much. I know better than you. So I'm going to put my opinion... That's why I use the word opinion so often. I'm going to put my opinion on you. Meanwhile, God said, I died on the cross so I could anoint you with me, so that you would know me, so that you would have that word called love that will build up. Now, me and Brian could have a difference of opinion on something. God's okay with that. God's perfectly fine. And he knows that the anointing in both of our hearts will build each other up. I had a really close friend of mine, and we go out. He was my best man in my wedding, and we go out, oh, once every couple of months as couples. He's a pastor in a church, and we sit down from the minute we sit down to the minute we leave. Man, I'm built up. And he says, John, I feel so built up when we sit down and have dinner together. And we have differing views. But the anointing of Jesus Christ builds us up. It says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. I still totally don't know how this works out in my daily life. So I said, God, I want to know how I have to take this to work in the morning. I want to know, so, okay, you love people. How how do I love people? How did you love people? It says in Romans 5, verse 8, that God, while we were yet sinners, loved us and went to the cross. That's love. I might, probably not, but I might, Die for Brian. Got to be honest. (laughs) Not positive on that one. (laughs) Depends on the circumstances. If I'm going to die anyways, yeah, okay, I'll die for him first. No, uh, but I might. But to die for the person that just totally rots your socks. The one that would spit on you because they think you're a jerk. That's the love we're talking about. That's a love that's called mercy love. Before we changed, he loved us. And he says that, I started getting closer now to understanding what this whole anointing was all about. 
It says in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and then it hit home to me. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's his mercy. This anointing is his mercy. Now I know you're still blank in front of me right now. Because if I had somebody say that to me, I wouldn't understand either. And I was raised as a young kid in a church where every Sunday morning it was mandatory. I'm going to call it mandatory. I'm not sure if it really was, but as a little kid, that's how I perceived it, where they read a scripture from the Old Testament, a scripture from the New Testament, and a scripture from the Psalms. If you're from that church, you'll know that right away what I'm talking about. And that was every Sunday they did it. And I probably, as I got older and remembered that tradition, I probably mocked it just a smidgen because I thought it was very traditional. But I start to understand that the Old Testament has a great way of teaching us. And in this particular story, the Old Testament had an incredible way of teaching me the understanding of mercy. Because I want to know what his anointing really is. I want to understand because from a church perspective, from my own home church, from this church perspective, it is the safest thing. I do not want to have to go through that gut-grueling thing and watch somebody get deceived in a church and walk away. It's the most horrible thing to watch. So... I went back to the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 to 22, there's a description given to Moses on something for him to build. It's called the mercy seat. Now, prior to the mercy seat, he was given the description how to build the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a rectangular box made out of acacia wood, which is a hardwood. I'm in the furniture business now, so I know all this stuff. Um, and then laid over with gold. But then the mercy seat that went on top. Now, inside of this box was the law. But on top of that box was this solid slab of pure gold with two angel-type figures on the top called cherubims. And they were facing each other. And it was called the mercy seat. It was pure gold, one piece. I could go into a whole other sermon on that one, to be honest with you, because that's an amazing story in itself. But I'm not going to go down there. I just want to understand what this mercy seat is, because God gave us the Old Testament as a teacher to give us an understanding. And I understand from the New Testament thus far that God's loving mercies are new every day. It has something to do with anointing, but how does that work out in my life on a daily basis? I haven't got that quite figured out yet. Okay, I know I got to love my brother and sister and all this kind of stuff. How does it work? How do, I, how, do I, how do I train myself to love somebody? I mean, there are people, honestly, that are very hard to love. And if it's the person beside you, don't say nothing to them. Um, there are hard people to love. And you can think of those people right now that are causing you a lot of grief in life. There are hard people to love. And how do I get to that point? Interesting thing. No coincidence that these two cherubim were on the mercy seat. 
No coincidence that the mercy seat sat on top of the law. No coincidence that that box that the law was in was only overlaid with gold, a more temporary fixture, fixture than the permanent, the mercy seat, which is solid gold. Go back to Genesis. And in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, there was a guard put at the east gate. Anybody familiar with what the guard was? It's a cherubim. It's a cherubim. Now I'm starting to understand what mercy really is. Think about this. The Lord said to Moses, when I want to speak to you, you come to the mercy seat and I'll speak to you from there. God's love has mercy. It's called his mercies. God's love is everlasting and it's got mercy after mercy after mercy. Every day there's new mercies given to us. Beyond the cherubim in the eastern gate of Garden of Eden is your genuine purpose. So we fell from that spot through sin and you and me, when we look at those people that are the jerks in our life, we see the sin. And God's saying to us, I want you to be anointed in me. So that when you come to that mercy seat, you see beyond the cherubim and you see what the purpose of that person really is. Can you imagine? That person that you work with that is just so absolutely and totally obnoxious. Can you look at that person in his, in Jesus's anointing that he's given to us? That means that we're coming to his mercy seat, looking beyond the cherubim and seeing the finished work of that person. That's how Jesus did with us. Holy smokes, can you imagine? It's good for me. I wanted him to do that for me. I wanted him to die on the cross for me while I was yet a sinner. But I don't know necessarily whether I want that anointing and that I will do that, whether I will look beyond that person's sin and look to the Garden of Eden and what the purpose of that person was actually really about. That's the anointing. It's not a feeling. Actually, if anything, it's not an easy thing. I, I, I guess it could be a feeling to some degree. It could be a tough feeling. Because Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he understood he was supposed to come to that mercy seat of his father, to his father. He was supposed to come to that mercy seat and look beyond to what the finished work was going to be but he said, if this could possibly pass me by, I wouldn't mind it, Dad. If you could just possibly let me have this slip by, I would feel a, a lot better. And he said, no, I want you to look beyond the cherubim. What did I create mankind for? I created them for the garden. Look at the purpose. Look at the purpose of Rick. Rick. 
Look at the purpose of Brian. Look at the purpose of Arda. Look at the purpose of those people. Even though they're not walking in it right now, that is the anointing of Jesus Christ on our life. It is love that builds up, that has mercy in it every day. That's a lot different description than I was ever taught anointing was. In my childhood days, um, we would have Sunday evening services, and we would call them the anointed services because we would cry. I don't know. And we would sing certain songs that had the tendency to lead us to crying. And we would live like hell on Monday. We wouldn't show mercy to the person that was the jerk. We would call that person the sinner that God is, oh, that's one of my tribulations. They're not our tribulations. They are the purpose of our anointing. Those people that we called our tribulations are the people that are the purpose of our anointing to see beyond the cherubim and to see the finished work. I want to know my Savior. I want to know him. God's mercy is on top of the law. In Romans 3, verses 21 to 25, I'm going to condense it a bit. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. When God put forward, was put forward as a propitiation, which means mercy seat, by his blood to be received by faith. The mercy seat is in the blood of Jesus Christ. He's called us to see the ones around us in mercy. How do I see that? It's not an easy chore for me to just see that on a daily basis because I'll tell you, my flesh riles up. And a jerk is still a jerk. They still get under your crawl. So he says, I will meet you between the cherubim. Told Moses, I will meet you between the cherubim. In Psalm 96, I've hit all the scriptures now. I've got the Old Testament, the New Testament, and Psalms. So I should, my ancestors should be really happy with me. Psalm 96, verse 9, it says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And in Ephesians, it said, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As you come before him as an anointed son of our living God. He will teach you in mercy the knowledge that is contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Some people think mercy is just a one-sided street. 
Oh, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm not, I got to be careful on how I word this because you can misconstrue it. And I don't know how forgiving you are and letting me say something wrong. So, um, <laughs> but we can become sloppy. And there are tough situations in life. There's tough situations in life. Child rearing. Child rearing is, I mean, you get one kid, they do what you say, and you get the next kid, and they just don't say what, do what you want to say. Like, or do, see, it even flusters me even talking about it. <laughs> and the same thing happens when we're dealing with other people around us. And he said, I want you to come to the mercy seat, and I will even teach you my truths that I have inside of that box. But I'm going to teach them to you in my heart, in my heart of mercy. I talk occasionally about my son, and I'm prerequisiting this on the advice of somebody, so I'm going to say it a little bit. He comes to this church, so I'm going to be a little bit cautious in that. My son loves the Lord, and he follows the Lord wonderfully right now. And I, I uh, am so excited about that. But he went through a stage that wasn't the most wonderful stage and got into some things that I didn't even understand, to be honest with you. And I had to come to the mercy seat. I preferred at a point in the time to take the lid off of the Ark of the Covenant and just present the law. That that's not how God made it for us. He gave it to us that the law was entrenched by the beauty of the pureness of that lid of mercy. And in doing that, there was tough things that the Lord had us do in raising that boy. And in the end, you mean when you have to say to them, there's the door, I have to exit you out of this house. But when that is done in the mercy of the Lord, at his mercy seat, his law is correct and accurate and true. And then the Lord said, you have to give up. And I'm just sharing with you some of the things that when I came to that mercy seat, what I had to do. And I said, God, I got to know what I got to do next. And he said, no, you don't. I want you to give up. I want you to give it over to me. And I'll direct you in the time of need. And from that point on, I gave it up. And I would only, when the Lord would prompt me, pray fervently for that kid. It would be like two in the morning, I'd wake up, got to pray for Nick. And I'd pray for him. And I'd see him usually once a week or so. I said, what were you doing Thursday morning at two in the morning? He said, oh, nothing, nothing. What do you have to say? I said, oh, I just felt I had to pray for you. And I would ask him again four weeks later or whatever when the Lord prompted me, what were you doing at two in the afternoon or whatever? And he said, 
when he came back to the Lord, he said, Dad, I got to tell you, that freaked me right out. Because every one of those situations, I was in trouble. And he knew, not just his earthly father, but his heavenly father was anointed by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. It wasn't the law that was driving him back. I wasn't beating him with the law. I was giving it over to the blood of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm telling you, for this church to not have deceit enter into it, you need the anointing. You don't need to run anywhere to get it. You can get it right now. Come to the mercy seat and call of the Lord. And it says in that scripture, Ephesians 3.19, the love of Christ, that blood, that mercy that he showed to you and me before we were good people, while we were still jerks, surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I want that for every one of you. I want for that, that for the church in Haldeman County. I want that for the church in Canada. We've got a lot of crazy things happening in this country right now. You just as well not watch the news, but I'm going to tell you that you are anointed and as you are anointed, as you come before that mercy seat, none of that garbage that's going on in this country can overtake you. Not one of those things. I challenge you to go before the Lord. If you don't go before the Lord, I'm sorry. You're lining yourself up for deceit. That's the negative side of this. Go before the Lord. Call out to the Lord every morning before you step out your door. Call out before the Lord. And I'm not knocking the daily bread or any of those things. Those are great. Read it. Do it. It's great. Get into the word yourself. Get into the word. God wants to call on your heart. He wants his anointing poured out on you so that his mercy can spread out of this whole, over this whole country. So his mercy can spread out in whatever job you're at, whatever mom's group you're in, whatever organization you're a part of, that his mercy can spread out to every one of those. Got it? I'm done. I like a long, you know those pastors that give these long preludes? They say, uh, okay, I'm, I'm just finishing up now, and you know, okay, i got a half an hour still to have a snooze. So um, I'm done. So I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to ask you, or tell you, once you know something, you're responsible for it. You're it. You know it. You go into the word and place this church in a place that Satan can't touch because there's no deceit because you're all anointed by him at the mercy seat. Father, we just thank you that your word is clear and concise. I thank you for answering my question. I thank you for giving me the understanding of what anointing really is all about. 
Lord, I pray that I can see beyond the cherubim, that I can see the purpose of the people around me, that I can have that love that you showed. Lord, that I can see their purpose and believe for them. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I pray that you administer to this congregation, that the word would become clear to them, Lord, and that they would be daily obedient to you to come before you and hear from you between the cherubim. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.